And welcome to another episode of Immigration and Mobility Decoded, a podcast about business immigration and global mobility. We are rapidly approaching summer, and jo- and uh, joining me today, as always, is my co-host Finn. Finn, how's it going? Good man. At some point, we got to change the name of this podcast to Immigration and Seasons Decoded. <laughs> we just love talking about the seasons on these on these catch-ups. <laughs> For real, for real, yeah. I mean, you know, weather's always weather's always a good uh, icebreaker. You know, coming back from the weekends uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, we have a great episode ahead for everyone. Uh, Finn and I chatted with Corinne Mossman. Uh, she is the VP of Business Development and Client Services at John L. Scott Real Estate, and she is also the president at the Puget Sound Relocation Council. Uh, she has many years of experience in the global mobility space, uh, so we can't wait for everyone to hear that conversation. But before we get there, Finn, as always, just want to provide a quick update, uh, news updates uh, to our listeners regarding U.S. immigration and anything else that has uh, caught our eyes. Uh, so before we were chatting, you mentioned that uh, Stuart Anderson um, from the National Foundation of American Power, NFAP, uh, he put out a new article this morning. Uh, we're recording this on May 22nd. Uh, what's a brief synopsis of that article that Stuart wrote? Yeah, essentially new research from Stuart's uh, think tank, like you mentioned, the National Foundation of American Policy or for American Policy, um, did an analysis of Department of Labor data and how quickly they're processing uh, PERM applications. Um and the denial rates for those perm applications. And what they found was that denial rates have have gone up a fair amount uh, for uh, perm applications in the past year. Uh, so in Q2 of 2022, this time last year, uh, the denial rates for perms was 4.4%, and it's almost doubled uh, in Q2 of 2023 of this year to 8.5%. Um, so something we've been tracking for a while, uh, obviously, um, you know, it was a big finding from our immigration trends report that uh, the majority of employers who we surveyed uh, see the Department of Labor as the primary agency barring them from hiring foreign talent, not USCIS, not uh, Customs and Border Protection, not the State Department, but the Department of Labor. Uh, you know, processing times for perms and prevailing wage determinations continues to go up, uh, just adding to the uncertainty for employers uh, in this time where you know, visa demand remains high and it's just harder and harder for employers to secure a visa for their employees in a timely manner. Awesome. Uh, thank you for that recap. Uh, we'll put that uh, the link to the article in the show notes below. Uh, additionally, just some quick updates uh, from elsewhere. Uh, uh, Finn, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed uh, an immigration bill and NBC News uh, put out an update. Uh, agricultural workers are fearful and brace for changes under new immigration law. Uh, one of the big uh, pieces of that legislation is that businesses with over 25 employees must use E-Verify to determine whether employees are legally allowed to work in the U.S. Um, NBC News writes that you know some, some uh, growers and farm owners are concerned there will be fewer workers, but others are optimistic that there will there wouldn't be major changes. Uh, so something we'll keep an eye on, uh, just see how that uh, bill plays out. And once it uh, becomes official, I believe in early 
takes effect in, in early July. Um, and then something, uh, a couple of other updates. Uh, there was an article from the New York Times. Um, the 2022 CHIPS Act is in full motion, but a study from Deloitte uh, indicates that there may be a shortage of workers, about 70,000 to 90,000 workers over the next few years. Um, there aren't enough skilled workers, uh, you know, and not for, for these companies to, to hire. And, um, you know, could, could immigration play a role in that if, if, if things were to be changed, potentially? Uh, we'll leave that up for listeners to decide. Um, and then finally, Finn, I'm not sure if you uh, were able to, if you caught it, but there was a really good in-depth piece from the, the, Was- uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, titled, What Everyone Except the U.S. Has Learned about immigration uh and they really just kind of compare and contrast uh the u.s with various countries uh worldwide you know such as germany japan spain and how they're approaching uh their labor markets and immigration uh it seems these other countries have recognized that you know due to demographics and other and other factors that they you know need to take action on immigration uh but as finn as you know immigration is not one of those, or sorry, the U.S. is not one of those countries uh, when it comes to taking action on immigration. Yeah, unfortunately, like many problems of the last 15, 20 years, you need a functioning legislative body to actually make uh, the changes necessary yeah. <laughs> to uh, an immigration system. And that's something that we don't have. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, immigration news is always, uh, always happening, uh, but definitely a little bit on the quieter side, uh, in the last week or so, uh, but you know, any new updates we'll definitely be sure to share. Uh, so Finn, before we hop into the conversation with Corinne, another just quick programming note, uh, we are recording this May 22nd and a week from now is Memorial Day, uh, here in the U S so uh, there will not be a new episode released uh the week of may 29th uh we'll be back uh with a new episode on june 6th and with that our conversation with corinne mossman and now it's a pleasure to welcome corinne mossman uh to the podcast today corinne is the vice president of business development and client services at john l scott real estate a trustee uh on the board uh for the foundation of workforce mobility um and the president of the Puget Sound Relocation Council. Corinne, you have quite the portfolio under your belt, and we're so glad you're here today to to talk about your work and your background. So welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, All of that stuff sounds fancy. It just keeps me me a little busy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Corinne, we always like to just start off by, uh, you know, we, we gave a short introduction to you uh, to our audience here, but we'd like to give you the chance and give you the floor to tell us a little bit about your background uh, and how you got into the relocation and mobility space. Sure, I would love to. So I think that if you asked anybody that's in mobility, they don't really have a linear path there. Everybody's kind of, you know, gotten into it by chance or by accident. Um, so I actually went to school for finance and international business after i changed my major i was like on a whole different track before that i was looking at pre-med and physical therapy and all these things which didn't happen um so went to school for finance and international business and one of my electives was for real estate and if i completed it they were going to give me a real estate license i'm like great i'm gonna do that that sounds sounds nice to have um and so 
I did that and I ended up working in real estate and somebody asked me if I ever had an interest in working in relocation and I had no idea what that was. I'm like, sure, sounds interesting, fun, I guess. So uh, I started working in relocation and have not left. Just like many people, once you're in corporate relocation and mobility, you don't, you don't leave. <laughs> what would you say, I mean, thus far in your career is one of your favorite aspects about your career or your current job or one of your many jobs, I should say. Many jobs. I would just <laughs> say that um, I feel like my day is different every single day. Uh, so it keeps me, it keeps my mind busy and there's always room for growth. I would say also just by the nature of our industry, there's always changing legislation, for example, or, you know, technology that's influencing our industry. So even if you feel like you have a handle on everything that there's chances are something's going to grow or expand or there's something new to learn. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. I also think that um, by the nature of what we do, everything is very uh, geared towards service and making sure that people are getting to their destination um, in, in a safe and happy way, if we can do that. And so I think it, it's really rewarding to be able to help families through major transitions in their lives. How does one in the mobility industry uh, keep up to date with all of the goings on and all the happenings and all the changing trends and news? What are you, what are you, what are you consuming on a regular basis to keep up uh, with, with your work? Oh, gosh, I would say I consume a lot of things. Um, uh, first of all, you know, we have our industry professional associations. Those are a great way to stay connected. Um, so we have Worldwide ERC, which is a membership association. Um, and then we also have uh, different professional associations within every vertical within the mobility space. So I would encourage everybody to get involved with the ones that are most applicable to them. And then of course we have regional groups like Puget Sound Relocation Council, where it is kind of a meeting of the minds for people that have an interest in a specific area. And so it's a great way. I, I would say I'm also, you know, consume news probably a little more than I should, but then probably is healthy, but I'm always trying to think about what's going to be happening, you know, so I can be forward looking and applying it to what, how it may impact our, you know, our, our industry or um, my everyday job. All right. And when, when you're not doing all of that, what are you doing for fun in your free time? We always like to ask our guests what they, what they get up to uh, when they're not working or, you know, in, in, um, in I'm pretty open. I just, I always like trying new things. So I am a natural explorer of things. So anything I can do that is something maybe I haven't done before. Um, my husband and I like to do road trips. I love history. I love looking at um, the different um, I don't know if they have these everywhere, but in our area, they have brown signs that are like an indication of a historical marker of some sort. I'm always like, pull over, gotta read that. Um, I like going wine tasting, spending time with my family, reading, um, going to museums, just really give me all of the information. <laughs> I'm with you on the history front. I'm a, I'm a frequenter of any historical society mm -hmm. where I live on, in the East Coast of the United States, so... Uh, Eric, I'll pass it off to you. I know you have a couple of questions for Corinne. Yeah, before before we hop into into that, I just know yeah, Finn. Finn is a major history buff. Uh, I know we've talked many a times about uh, Finn, what's re what he's reading, and, and various maps Ooh. he has in his background. Um, Corinne, I think uh, you know we're, we're super excited to have you on the show because a lot of our conversation is going to focus on an aspect of of you know relocation and global mobility that. 
uh, maybe is not always top of mind, but should be top of mind. And it's what you specialize in, which is relocation. Um, my first question for you, Corinne, is where in the mobility process is it important to think about relocation and living situations? I would say that should probably be one of the first considerations that you start thinking about. Um, I know that immigration obviously is is the big key factor there. And I have been working with a group actually in different verticals within our industry to kind of talk about this because a lot of the documents and things you're going through to prepare for immigration, you also kind of need if you're looking to buy a home, for example. Um, and so we're kind of trying to think through a process or a way of getting in touch with um, transferring employees or assignees prior to them leaving their home country. Um, because sometimes, depending on where they're coming from, the documents that they may need to have, they either need to collect in person, and it could be difficult if they're trying to focus on that once they've already left. Um, you know, trying to find a power of attorney to go get these things for them. So if there's any way that we can prepare them ahead of time, um, I think that would be great. I think also the financial literacy part of it is probably really critical because uh, the U.S. system for financing and credit and all of that is is typically really foreign for people that are coming um, from a, another location. And even though they may be in a really great position where they moved from, um, if, they, if they are not uh, deemed credit worthy by U.S. standards, sometimes it's a little bit challenging for them um, to find a place to live. So there are a lot of great tools out there. I'm going to give a little shout out to my friends at First Tech. They do a really great job on expat finance and helping um, helping foreign nationals get prepared. So I think that not having that is kind of like an afterthought. Once people arrive somewhere to start doing that, I think it's really it would really be helpful and beneficial to them to start thinking about it really upfront. For sure, for sure. And uh, yes, definitely a shout out to the First Tech. We're actually going to be speaking with um, Brian uh, oh, in the in the near future, so we're, we're looking we're uh, very very much looking forward to that component. I think it's going to be a very good follow up to this episode. So, Corinne, um, what what if foreign nationals want to purchase a home in the United States? Can you talk about how how to help individuals and their families navigate the real estate market? Um, I think quick, quick, quick add on to that question. You know, I recently bought a house and, you know, for me, it was just a whirlwind. So I can only imagine what it's like for, for, for individuals and their families, if, if, you know, they're coming from a, a different country. Yes, definitely. I, you're right. It's a, it's a whirlwind for everybody. There are so many different pieces to think about. And I think probably the first thing would be uh, to focus on the education part of it. I think that would probably fall into the duty of care category for corporations, for RMCs, for everybody. Um, but I think it's especially important because it is such a big decision and such a big process. And um, there, so within the real estate part of global mobility, um, typically brokerages will have a trained relocation team of brokers to help transferring employees. And I think it's really critical to, um, you know, educate the transferring employees or assignees on why it's so important to work with somebody that's trained in relocation. Um, not only do they understand the timelines and, you know, all of the other competing factors that are happening, you know, that you got to coordinate your household goods or you have only a certain amount of time in temporary housing. They understand all of those challenges, but then they also understand the nuances of relocation programs and policy. 
And then, of course, when we look at folks that are relocating internationally, there, there's that added layer of understanding the, the, the whole system of real estate, how to get qualified, you know, all of that. So I think it's really important to work with somebody that's trained um, because there are, you know, are, there are real estate um, brokers out there that are slightly in a different model or something like that might have different training, maybe not full time. It might be a side gig for them or something like that. So it's really important to work with somebody that's a full service trained um, and goes through the ongoing training that our relocation certified brokers do. Got it. Do you find that there is a particular breakdown amongst foreign nationals when it comes to those who, when they're coming over here, they want to buy real estate versus those who you mentioned uh, temporary housing, those who just want to live in you know that apartment you know, for as long as needed? Well, I think everybody's needs are going to be different. And I think that um, probably one of the big drivers for families would be school district and making sure that they have enough space to accommodate their family. Um, I think it's more uh, more prevalent for families to be relocating that are not, you know, the traditional structure with like a mom and a dad and two kids, you know, sometimes they're bringing along another family member, uh, sometimes elder care is something to really think about. Um, so I think that anything we can do to help them with that challenge, because it's it's something that they're going to be making a lot of their decisions based on, you know, your home is where your heart is. It's where you it's where you, you know, that's your safe space. That's where you're going to be. So I think it's anything we can do to help them prepare and, and land in a place that they feel comfortable is is probably the best thing. Um, I would say the preparation ahead of time is really important because back to that international credit. For example, um, there are some countries where culturally uh, credit is frowned upon. It's seen as living outside of your means if you have any kind of debt. And here, debt is kind of what forms your, your credit worthiness. So I think that if anything we can do in the education space on that would be fantastic. I know our destination service provider friends do a lot of that, but sometimes they don't get in contact with the transferring employee until the move has already been initiated and they may already be here. In, in your career uh, history and experience, uh, what have you found works best when helping to educate foreign nationals on, you know, how we view credit with your example, what you just mentioned, like how we view credit versus how they might view credit back in their home countries? Well, I think that, again, um, having uh, having service partners that are trained on relocation, uh, most of our relocation management companies do have preferred lenders and they have uh, preferred real estate brokers that are trained in relocation. So they understand that that challenge might be um, intrinsic just because of not having the familiarity and they have to take that extra step of the education on the system and making sure that they know kind of the next steps, who all the players are, maybe help them out with some, you know, definitions, act as a glossary sometimes. And we've worked really hard to kind of put some materials together and um, have our team really prepared to give that extra, you know, extra attention to that. For sure, for sure. It's great. Uh, so I guess zooming out a little bit um, and just want to ask you a couple questions on maybe like the the financial literacy component of it, financial education. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about the importance of offering banking and financial services to to those individuals and their families when they're coming over here to the States? And similarly, 
when should those discussions be occurring? So again, I'm, I'm a big proponent of helping people understand this as soon as possible, perhaps before they're leaving their home country so they can, you know, get familiar with it, prepare in the way that they need to. And I think that um, once you do have Brian on here, he'll be a great resource to kind of give some of those nuanced uh, tips on how to be prepared because they do a great job of um, not just lending for purchasing a home, but like the whole expat finance suite of products to make sure that somebody can land comfortably and buy a car or get a credit card or whatever it may be, because those are typically, um, you know, necessary for a lot of the big things here in the United States. Got it. Got it. Uh, f- final question for me, and then I'll, I'll turn it over. Oh, actually, I have two two final questions before I turn okay. it over to Finn. Um, zooming all the way back, uh, zooming all the way out. Uh, how would you describe the current state of the relocation industry, and where do you see things headed in the next five, ten, fifteen years? That's a big question. <laughs> um, I think that. For, well, let's start with real estate. I know that there are a lot of changes happening right now in our industry. Um, and we actually just covered this at our Puget Sound Relocation Council spring meeting uh, because there are some pretty big changes happening within the real estate segment of the industry that has greater impacts for our whole industry as a whole. And I think we're coming to a place where um, it's it's more common to maybe collaborate with your competitors or work across, across verticals to come up with solutions that um, prop our industry up. And I, I, I really appreciate where that is going because it's kind of like for the greater good, right? Um, kind of like the example, um, I think Volvo was the one that develop the technology for the cross shoulder seat belts because it used to just be lap belts. And while they could have, you know, capitalized on that because it was such a great innovation, they didn't do that. They shared it with the industry because it moved forward. So I just encourage everybody as you're working in your space to think about moving the industry forward. And that way we have a little bit of say in how it moves forward and it doesn't just develop without us having some um, skin in the game and, you know, being able to influence that. Got it. And one of those changes you just mentioned, uh, I think it was earlier this week, uh, Can you, there was an update in the, the state of Washington. Uh, can you provide an update on real estate agency reform that just happened? Sure, I would love to. So um, I'll give you just a really high level overview because there are some legal updates. So I would encourage everybody who um, wants some more information to kind of check with their legal counsel, maybe look at some of the bills that are posted online through the bill tracker. Uh, through the state. Um, But essentially, there's a lot of changes going on right now. Um, A few years ago in Washington State, our multiple listing service, who kind of hosts all of the listings for homes for sale, um, I think it accounts for about 80% of the listings in our state, made some changes to broker compensation uh, to kind of promote transparency within the industry and give people a little more freedom of choice and how uh, what services they want, how and how they want to compensate for them and who they want to work with. And We've kind of been, you know, navigating that and thinking through all the different ways that that impacts our industry and um, kind of in parallel, our state legislature put forth some legislation, uh, proposed legislation on real estate agency reform as a whole. And that actually passed the House and the Senate in April, and I believe the governor just signed it a couple days ago. So we are, you know, 
all thinking together as to what that means for our industry, for our practices. And uh, one of the interesting things is that, you know, that's the real estate industry as a whole. And I know that most likely the, the folks that were involved in those conversations were not specialized in relocation. So we have to kind of respond to how, what those changes were, how, what are our best practices going forward. And so our group here in my area that um, is a group of competitors is collaborating and making sure that our, our mutual clients and our mutual stakeholders understand that these changes are coming, um, working together on education and kind of thinking through any unintended consequences or results of this that we really need to focus on to make sure that everybody else um, within, our, within our industry is prepared for that. And so um, I can send the information out if there's anybody that would like to read on it. It's it's a great lengthy read. Um, you know how we have line, line <laughs> through bills and all of that with amendments. Um, but I would say that it is in Washington state right now. However, uh, I would say that changes potentially imminent. There are some federal cases out there right now that um, are around broker compensation and, and real estate agency reform as well. So it's very possible that we may see that on a larger scale. And I know that just um, anecdotally talking to some contacts uh, within the real estate relocation space in different states, that there are some that are kind of following suit with what Washington is doing. Uh, yeah, I think actually after, uh, after this, uh, we can, uh, you can share those links with us and we can put them in the show notes uh, so people can, can read uh, and, and, and stay up to date. I guess uh, final final question for for me, and then I'll turn it over to Fed. Um, earlier, you mentioned uh, you're a big consumer of news. I am as well. Uh, but when it comes to this type of news, real estate broker compensation, what resources do you usually go? What are your go to resources? That's a great question. I follow um, National Association of Realtors. I also follow. Um, I try to pay attention to a lot of different news sources that pick up you know, the wire, because I want to see how everybody's presenting it as just a habit to make sure that I'm not, you know, biased based on one news source. So I would say the National Association of Realtors, um, I actually have been following the bill trackers through the state legislature because they put out updates. Um, and so I would just say find a, a professional organization that, that resonates with what you're looking for and try to sign up for their newsletters. We've also had some really cool updates happen. Um, kind of uh, in the same legislation session around um, removing restrictive covenants and historic deeds, uh, which I believe there used to be some racist language in uh, deeds for homes and different documents. And so they are working on um, a project for that, as well as um, assisting some homeownership goals for folks that may not have been accessible in the past. Um, I think in our state, they, I'm not sure if it passed yet or if it's been signed, it did pass, um, about a piece of legislation that for every document that's recorded through the assessor's office, a $100 fee will be added onto that and it will go into a fund to assist um, homeowners that were, um, you know, part of related to or part of a group that was historically excluded from purchasing homes. So I think it's really great that they're coming up with ways to support um, home ownership and kind of equalizing the opportunities. I heard historic deeds. Corinne, if you ever want to marry uh, your personal love of history and your professional work together, come out to New England because there are some mm -hmm. crazy land deeds out here that people right. pull out of the out of the woodwork 
to claim, you know, that they own, you know, a, a John Dutton Yellowstone amount of land in right. the States here. <laughs> and uh, sure. the, law, the laws are really, really screwy in New England when you have deeds from the 1600s that are signed by, you know, King Charles II. <laughs> um, wow. That is interesting. I'll have to connect with you on that. Yeah, it's it's a fun time. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to your work with the Puget Sound Relocation Council and maybe ask you to explain it to our audience from a bird's eye view. So first off, what is a relocation council? Mm-hmm. Um, what do they do? And um, then maybe talk t- tell us a little bit about exactly what the Puget Sound Relocation Council uh, is doing. Sure. Uh, so um, I can speak about Puget Sound Relocation Council because I've been a member for some time here. And I personally love the group. I think it's a great way to connect with other people in the industry. So basically, it is made up of HR or mobility professionals that perform that function within a corporation, and then a ton of different types of service providers that that facilitate uh, corporate relocation or mobility. So we have household goods movers, destination service providers, immigration providers, real estate, um, trying to think here, cultural and language trainers, uh, school choice, just a ton of different partners that are really passionate about assisting families and um, and transferring employees. And basically we get together and we have a component of education where we plan out educational topics and share that with our members. Um, We like to do a lot of interactive workshops as well. Typically we offer continuing education, education credits for those that hold like a CRP or GMS designation. And we also try to have fun and uh, usually allow a lot of time for networking and connecting. Uh, We also have a non-solicitation policy to kind of make it a safe space for those corporate members that like to join us. Um, So of course, if they're interested in the services, they can ask, but we kind of have some some guardrails around uh, how how things can proceed and kind of like the, the rules of the road for when people get together. The other thing that's really important to us and most of the other regional groups out there is, are supporting uh, charitable organizations um, in their communities. So we support an organization called iUrban Teen, which is a nonprofit that um, basically exposes underrepresented students to the STEM plus arts fields. So they do like workshops, they have all kinds of cool, um, you know, curriculum STEM tours with different companies uh, and try to ignite the spark of excitement in the students and, and expose them to different career paths. And so one of the things we've been working on with them is um, to help educate the students on what global mobility is. That way, when they've, they've gotten all these wonderful skills through Iron Team, they know how to advocate for themselves when they're in the talent market so that they can say, hey, you know, I know what mobility is and I'd love to, you know, maybe negotiate that into my job offer. Um, and also so that they see that the possibility is there when they are actually looking for jobs um, that if they may not have the means themselves, they can still consider uh, an employment opportunity that might be outside the area and, and understand what relocation assistance looks like. That's awesome. Yeah, that immediately reminds me of uh, Envoy had this infographic that was circulating around LinkedIn a few weeks ago of an iceberg. Uh, and it was showing, you know, immigration at the top of the iceberg above the surface and then all other aspects of relocation and global mobility, you know, th- that were below mm-hmm. the surface and the 90% of the, of the rest of the iceberg. And it sounds like, you know, at the council, you guys are hitting on all that. Um, with, with your meetings and collaborations. I wanted to ask um, specifically because DEI has been a really important topic for the last several years. And I understand that that, um, uh, that 
um, you just started a, a DEI committee. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, Puget Sound Relocation Council started a DEI committee. Um, gosh, I believe it was in 2019, maybe. It's been the last couple of years are really hard to gauge time wise. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so basically what we do is we meet and we kind of figure out uh, what we want to support as far as an organization, but we also share ideas with each other and, and just have really honest, authentic conversations. And I really appreciate all the things that we've been able to accomplish and how we've been able to help other regionals or worldwide ERC or any of the other organizations that we're a member of, or even our own employers kind of have those conversations. And so um, our board actually did some equity training too. We did a four-part equity training series, which was really fantastic because it got it gave us the opportunity to get to know each other on another level and then also take back what we learned to our companies and to our team. And so I would say that that space is always a little bit hard to navigate. Um, people are not sure where to start or where they fit in, but I think that that's probably where growth happens. It's important to um, be okay with the discomfort um, because that's when you start to grow. Awesome. Thank you most. Uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, the work that you're doing with the Puget Sound Relo Council. Uh, Corinne, as we uh, look to wrap up the conversation, um, just want to ask you for your personal advice or words of wisdom for what what are your words of wisdom for the mobility professionals uh no matter where they are in their career stage whether they're first entering the space or they're vet veterans uh 5 10 15 years etc um what have you learned over the years that 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 helps you along your journey so I tend to try to find somebody that's really good at something that I'm interested in to learn from them. I, I follow the thing, like the content that they produce or put out there. Um, and I also try to understand what they're working on so that I can, I can see if there's anything, any takeaways there that I can learn from. Um, I would also say just get involved because we have so many different organizations out there that are available to help connect people to help people grow and to help them learn. And so I would say that, um, you know, your your movement forward is probably based on, on yourself, you know, like get out there and get to know people, get involved, um, raise your hand. Um, I know that we all have time commitments that we have to be mindful of. And I would say that all of these organizations have things that are really simple to get involved in. And, you know, sometimes it could be as simple as being a greeter at an event just so that you get to know people. And um, even just looking at name tags and understanding what type of member organizations there are, uh, because sometimes you forget how broad our industry is and all of the different types of uh, companies are out there that support talent mobility. Well said, well said. Thank you so much for sharing. Anything coming up that, uh, Corinne, that you want to plug um, or highlight? Any events? Um, anything noteworthy? 
Sure. So the Foundation for Workforce Mobility, um, I am a trustee member for that, and it is really, really amazing organization. So um, if you're familiar, familiar with Worldwide ERC, uh, the foundation is kind of like the charitable arm of that. So Worldwide ERC would be like the head of the organization and the foundation would be like the heart. So we're really passionate about raising funds and assisting um, charitable um, charitable resource or charitable organizations and causes out there. So uh, we allow for uh, matching funds and scholarships for our regional groups. Um, I believe they also supported some efforts in Ukraine uh, last year. So we're also looking at supporting students that are interning with Upward Mobility, which is giving some um, internship, uh, paid internship opportunities to st underrepresented students within the mobility industry as well. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and final question, Corinne, before we hop cool. off, um, where can listeners find you um, and interact with you? Uh, that's a great question. Um, probably LinkedIn. I, I LinkedIn. always post on LinkedIn. I wouldn't say I'm a content creator, but I do post about where I am, um, you know, things that are going on out there, upcoming events. Um, you can also email me, reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to anyone. Um, I would also say that one of the things that I like doing is connecting people. So if we do connect on LinkedIn and there's anybody in my network that you have an interest in connecting with, um, feel free to leverage that connection. I'd love to make an introduction and help you along your way. Great. Well, Karen, it's been a pleasure speaking with you uh, this afternoon. Thank you so much for joining Immigration and Mobility Decoded. Um, and looking forward to, to more collaborations. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Corinne. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Immigration and Mobility Decoded. Uh, if you watched this video on YouTube and you enjoyed it, please hit the like button and consider subscribing to the Envoy Global YouTube channel for more content like this. Uh, otherwise, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, everyone.